0: Right, let me pray for you, Paul. Cheers, yeah, you're, you're more ready than we are, so that, that's good. I'll probably pray for us more, to be honest. Father, thank you for the fire that burns within Paul. Thank you. It's, um, it seems to be always burning and always growing. And I pray I pray that that be the, the same for us. As he speaks, that the main thing that is imparted is a passion for the person of Jesus, a passion for his Holy Spirit, an openness to God's voice to grow us, refine us, and change us. Lord, would you turn the soil of our hearts so we're ready for your word to be planted into it. Lord, we believe that Paul is bringing a message straight from heaven, that he's bringing the Father's words to us. And so, Lord, position us to hear them. Amen. Amen. amen.
1: Thanks, bro. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I didn't really need that. Um, So, we're carrying on our uh, series on Acts, and today's sermon... Is entitled Whose Baptism Have You Received? We're looking at Acts 19. And this is the story. Uh, This is the only slide with a lot of writing on it. The others are a little more uh, simple. So if you want to follow along in the Bible, you can, or the key scriptures up there anyway. It's Acts chapter 19 and the first uh, six or seven verses, I think, that are there. So this is a story where the Apostle Paul has gone to Ephesus, and he's met some disciples. I'll just read it out, and then we'll pick out some some key bits there that are also highlighted for you. So, uh, Apollos is at Corinth. Paul took the road and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So in this uh, in this scene, Paul's turned up, he's found these guys, he's asked them uh, about their, their baptism specifically, or he's asked them about, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say to him, no, we, we don't even understand what you're talking about. This is kind of off of, off our grid. But it says they were disciples. So we assume that when Paul turned up in town, they kind of resonated somewhat with what he was saying and they, they identified themselves to him as disciples. So they're Christian believers. It doesn't say that they're, uh, that they're disciples in, John specifically, it says that they're just disciples. So Paul identifies them as disciples. They identify themselves as disciples. But something about where they're coming from leaves Paul with a question mark and he asks them, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, well, we don't really know what you're talking about. So then he's kind of trying to backtrack with them a little bit. He's trying to ask them some questions about how have you ended up where you are? You know, how did you become disciples? But specifically, he frames the question in, in these terms, what baptism did you receive? which I think is a bit of a weird question on the surface. We might meet somebody, and I, I don't know if you would ever have this, but if you kind of imagine that we would put ourselves in that place, we might ask them questions about, well, did you, did you receive Jesus into your heart? Did you make him your Lord and Savior? Or, or something like that. We might ask those sorts of questions, perhaps. But he's not interested in those questions. He asks them, what baptism did you receive? And for us, again, baptism in our society and our culture only really means one thing, so in their culture, in their society, there were lots of baptisms that were going on. So if you were going to become someone's disciple, you might get baptized, for instance. So he's trying to, he's trying to get underneath the surface of how have you ended up where you are. And when they say that they have uh, not heard of the Holy Spirit, and he asks them w- what baptism they receive, they say John's baptism, he recognizes the problem. It's like immediately Paul's diagnosed the problem. And he says, well, John's baptism was just about repentance, but John was pointing to something that was coming after him, and, th- and that was Jesus. And I, I know that you've heard something about Jesus, but you've not quite joined the dots up altogether because you haven't realized that the whole point of believing in Jesus is having the Holy Spirit. Um, back in uh, at Pentecost earlier in the year, I, I did a, a series on the Holy Spirit, which I guess many of us were there for. It's up online if you want to listen to it. But we, we looked at in those those sessions how the whole trajectory of the Scripture takes us towards having the Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit, being in the life of the Holy Spirit. Everything leads us towards that. So this is a case where... The Apostle Paul, he knows that, and he's recognizing something's missing for these disciples. They've just got the message of repentance, but they haven't got the message of being immersed in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he shares that with them, they're they're open. You know, there's nothing resistant in these guys. It's not that they uh, that they're against anything that that God's doing. So they're just they're they're not informed. When they become informed, they're like, oh, okay, we missed that part. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get baptized again, but this time in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul lays hands on them in this instance, he lays hands on them, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the thing I want to highlight today is to compare these two baptisms. What really is the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? How is that relevant for us right now today? Because I think it's extremely relevant for us right now. And then how, what difference is, is that going to make for our lives, and what's God going to do about it? So does that make sense so far? Excellent. I'm sure it does. So here we go. Let's move on. Comparison of baptism. So first of all, John's baptism. What was John's baptism for? And I, I just simplified this. We could say a lot of things about it. But if you if you know anything about the story of the gospel, before uh, Jesus turns up on the scene, his cousin, John the Baptist, is there baptizing people in the Jordan. All the people are coming out from the, the cities to, to see John. And he's baptizing them for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Actually, he's baptizing them to, to wash away their sins. This is the, the, this is the image that's there. And this is interesting because we're used to associating the forgiveness of sins with Jesus' ministry. But John the Baptist was there baptizing people for repentance, for forgiveness of sins. That's what he was doing. So we can see that the, the first thing about John's baptism, this is the thing that, that Paul highlights in Acts 19, or the, the bit that you know Luke, who wrote Acts, he wanted to really emphasize this, that it's about repentance. And what repentance is, in the Greek, is the word metanoia, literally means to change your mind. In the, in the Hebrew, I can't remember the word, but the, the concept in the Hebrew means to return to oneself. So if you're looking at it with the, in, in the Greek language, then it, it refers to a change in the way that you think. If you look at it from the Hebrew language, it means to return to yourself. It's like in the parable of the prodigal son, when the, uh, the prodigal son is in the pig pen, and it, it says uh, so in our Bibles, it usually says something like, he came to his senses. That's actually the Hebrew concept, Repentance and and it literally means he came back to himself it's like it came back into his right mind he returned to who he truly is it's like he remembered who he truly was he came to himself that's that's repentance now we're used to thinking of repentance having had a thousand years of uh, of um, Catholic uh, thinking and I'm um, not, not meaning to criticize our Catholic brothers and sisters but from a theological point of view the concept of repentance it's we've got we get this idea of feeling really guilty about the thing that we've done and then kind of trying to make amends by paying penance to make amends but that's not the concept of repentance that's presented to us in the Bible at all so the concept is a, a change in the thinking and a returning to who you truly are Very, very different from feeling, feeling really rubbish and guilty about what you've, what you've done wrong. That's not biblical repentance. But anyway, John's baptism was repentance—a change of heart or returning to oneself—and it signifies a decision to become a follower. So, people who were being baptized by John, you know, to a greater or lesser degree, they were aligning themselves with John's message, and they're saying, "We we recognize John has been preaching this kind of the, this message into society, been critiquing society, been showing up all the sins and all the all the inadequacies and the shortcomings in society, and so we are being baptized." To align ourselves with that message and to be a disciple, a follower, a student of John. So we want to follow the way of John. We want, it, we want to uh, learn from him and we want to seek to apply his principles and his teachings of how to live a good life. And we want to, we recognize that's what we should do because we've come back to our senses. We've realized we've had this way of thinking that's been dysfunctional. It's been conditioned by the world and we want to do it a different way. That's what John's baptism was for, becoming a follower of a discipline or or a way of of life. And here, the third point, I mentioned it, it's about forgiveness and starting a new life. This was John's baptism. All of this, so far so good, right? We wouldn't really disagree with any of that. All of this sounds like quite a good kind of summary, at least from one angle, of the Christian message. Except it's not the Christian message, it's the John the Baptist message. So that question, what baptism have we actually received? Because if our Christianity really only covers these three things, it's not Christianity. It's just the best of Judaism. It's a little bit like the uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Um, the prophet Ezekiel, God says to him, "If a wicked person repents of their sin and turns to me, then I'll forgive him. I, I won't. I won't." judge them based on the sins they've done in the past. And he says, "Or well, if a good person repents of being good and starts doing bad things, then the fact that they did good things before won't mitigate against the fact that they've done bad things so that they'll, they'll get judged. That's, that's the gospel. No, it's not the gospel, but that's the, that's the gospel, if you like, according to Ezekiel. But I find a lot of Christians think that way. They think, oh, well, I was a bad person before, and I'm believing in Jesus, and I'm trying to be a good person, and that, that, that's good for me. Or, but if, you, if you're if you a good person, a good Christian, you know, you might decide you screw it up later on and, you know, turn away or what have you. Well, God won't be happy with you. He'll judge you for that. That's just what Ezekiel preached. If that's all the gospel is, then Jesus has added nothing to the prophet Ezekiel. And if this is all the gospel is, then we have, we have added nothing. Christ has added nothing to the baptism of John. So this is what Paul is confronting when he gets to Ephesus. He's confronting people who have the the, apparently the image of the gospel, but not the substance of the gospel. Paul describes it like this later on in the Bible. He says it's having the form of godliness, but no power, but denying the power. So what does Jesus' baptism look like then? Well, first of all, Jesus' baptism is into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this comes from the end of Matthew. Jesus commands the disciples to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, that is summarized as being baptized into the name of Jesus. It's really, it's really the same thing. If we say being baptized into the name of Jesus, because in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Father, Son, and Spirit dwell fully in the one man, Jesus. So when the Bible talks about being baptized into the name of Jesus, it's not saying something different from being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus, to speak his name, is to connect with and to accord with and echo with the reality of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the name, the concept of the name, it's like the stand-in for the fullness In biblical thinking when we talk about the name of something that that name represents the whole so when we're baptized into the name of jesus or the name of the father son and holy spirit it's saying we're being fully immersed into the fullness of their life everything that they are we are baptized and fully immersed into so the second point comparing it to the first one, is uh, instead of signifying a decision to just become a follower, it actually signifies a permanent and full immersion into that life. Now, this is different because uh, we can see it's about forgiveness and starting a new life, but in John's baptism, you're you're kind of, there's still a continuity. It's like, okay, I'm I'm recognizing I should change my way of living and I should adopt these principles and I should start following the teachings of a, a different way of life. And that's how my life's going to change because I'm going to make different decisions about my life now. I'm going to think differently about my life. I'm going to make different decisions about my life. And because of that, things are going to, they'll, they'll go better for me. I'll live a righteous life. But Jesus's baptism, it includes the concept of forgiveness, but actually Jesus's baptism is about resurrection. Because when you go down into the waters of Jesus' baptism, you die. You're not the same, just changing your attitude about life. It's not like this kind of self-improvement, self-help kind of thing. It's th- that baptism signifies you are over. The end. Game over. <laughs> like, you, you, you're done, you're dusted, you're buried, and then you're raised anew. And the, the image and the language used in the New Testament for this is the language in the Greek metamorphosis or transfiguration. In the Latin, metamorphosis, which is exactly the same concept of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, that there is a an irreversible and a permanent transformation. It's not like we've we've just corrected our attitudes or our behaviour. This is you you have been completely dissolved and completely reconstituted into something new. This is the image of Jesus's baptism. So when Paul asks the question to the disciples in in Ephesus, which baptism did you receive? This is kind of what is he's Alluding to is saying, what have you really, how much of this message have you really grasped? Have you just, have you just grasped the idea that you're, you're kind of adopting a new way of life and you know, that's all good. You're not saying that's bad, but that's not the gospel. The gospel signifies this on the right-hand side of the the PowerPoint. You're fully immersed into the life of God, completely uh, dissolved and reconstituted as a, as a new being, as a new creation. The Bible says that is permanent and irreversible, because the butterfly cannot become a caterpillar again. The word baptize, in fact, uh, is it's the word to uh, to pickle. Did you know that? It's one of the meanings of the word. Um, So when, when you take a cucumber and you put it in, does anyone make these things at home? You know, I make sauerkraut at home. I quite like that. You kind of chop up, you chop up the sauerkraut, so of course you do, you know. You got that? We got that kind of Eastern European thing going on. <laughs> you chop that sucker up, you know, and you immerse it. You have to baptize it. And it's got to go all the way under. You know, if it doesn't go all the way under, you get the mold on the top. You don't want that. You have to skim that off. But it goes in and you can't unsour kraut a kraut, right? You can't, you, can't, you can't unsour the kraut. Once a kraut becomes sour, you can't unsour it. It's like you can't unpickle a pickle. It's not possible. Nobody can do that. Like it, It's metamorph- metamorphosized. It's irreversibly changed. Something chemically in it it's, it, it's transformed into a totally different flavor and a totally different thing. It's also very tasty and very good for you. And It goes great with pork. Anyway, which is another good thing that Jesus did, actually. Aren't you glad that Jesus died on the cross so that you could eat bacon and sausages and pork chops? And uh, I am, anyway. All the vegans in the room right now, I need, need to forgive me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think I said, all right. Yeah, so here. Uh, <laughs> so, Paul checked. Paul checked their baptism. This is interesting. How did he, how was he trying to check which side of this? So, if I go back. How does Paul... What question does he use to decide which side of the, the PowerPoint they're on? Are they on the left side or the right side? John's baptism or Jesus' baptism? He asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That was how how he was going to check. Because Paul knew that if, you, if you've really got Jesus' baptism, then you've got the Holy Spirit because you're being fully immersed into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, then that, that's a pretty good sign. So the fact that they hadn't suggested that John's baptism was as far as their understanding had gone. You see, Paul starts with the question about the Holy Spirit, and then he moves on to the question about baptism. He goes a little bit more fundamental. So Paul expected receiving the Holy Spirit to be the direct consequence of someone receiving Jesus' baptism. So going back to the series we did earlier in the year, where the whole trajectory of the Bible is towards us having and being fully immersed and fully in the life of the Holy Spirit. Everything leads up to that. This is another, uh, another point, another um, argument for that here. So, everyone in the book of Acts who receives the Holy Spirit has some kind of an experience associated with it, and some evidence associated with it. In other words, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just, I've had, okay, now I agree, I've got got the Holy Spirit. Something actually happens, and it's visible, it's tangible, to an extent it's measurable. In fact, every instance of people receiving the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is either accompanied by them speaking in tongues, or them prophesying, or both, in every case. And now I'm not saying that that means that the only, the only evidence of having the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues or prophesying, um, because that would be to go beyond. The, the Bible doesn't say that. It's just in every case in the book of Acts, that's what happens. In fact, on, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the apostle Peter says to the, the, the crowd, he says, God has poured out what you can see and hear. In other words, the fact that they were filled in the, with the Holy Spirit resulted in the people being able to see something and hear something. There was a visible, tangible, experiential reality that was happening because people were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the prophet uh, Samuel, he prophesies to Saul before he becomes king. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be transformed into a different man. And if you remember the story, if you can go and read it, then that's what happens. When the Holy Spirit comes on Saul, he's completely transformed into a different person. The, The way he, obviously he's still himself, but it's like he's the real himself. It's like all this stuff that society and life and the world had layered upon him to try and put, bend him out of shape, try and put him in the image that wasn't the image that God saw in him when he created him. When the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he's transformed into a different person, the true person who he, who he really is. And this is, this is the case for us as well. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're transformed, we're transfigured into who we truly are. In Eastern Orthodox Christian theology, this is central to understanding the gospel. The, the, uh, in, in that branch of theology, we talk about the true self and the false self. That, the, uh, that when, we're, when we're living in, in sin or sinful kind of mindsets or concepts, this isn't who we truly are. This is a false self. It's like a, a false image that we uh, that distorts how we see human life and how we see others. And the gospel is a returning. Remember, repentance involves the concept of returning to our true self. It's a waking up to the truth of the reality of who we are, created in God's image, created in His likeness, created in union and, and oneness with Him. Thank you, Jesus. But there's this. There's something physical happens. Change necessarily happens. When, when we're filled with the Spirit. And any time you're filled with the Spirit, something's going to happen. I've got to move on because of time. What does life look like under two different baptisms? Okay, so, whoops, let's go back here. John's baptism first. Okay, so let's make this more practical. If you're just coming from John's baptism angle, you're doing life without Holy Spirit. You're effectively doing life and your discipleship in a self-powered way. Then, if that's the case... It's possible to lose what you've been given. Because your power is going to run out sooner or later. Like that Energizer bunny may go twice as long as the unbranded cheap Poundland version of the AA batteries. But he still runs out of power, right? He gets, He's limited. He runs out. You may be like the best Energizer bunny when it comes to kind of Christian life. You may go faster, harder, further than anyone else but you're still going to run out. Sooner or later, you get to the end of your own power, your own ability. And what happens then? Well, it's possible to lose your way. You see, John's baptism creates people who are followers. And if you're a follower, well, you kind of have to keep up. Jesus moves pretty fast and you have to keep up with him. And what happens if you get distracted? What happens if you kind of see, oh, there's a nice flower on the floor, and then, oh, hang on a minute, where did Jesus go? He's he's disappeared off again. I've got to find him again. And then we're in this we're in this mode of trying to locate him, and then we turn up to church on a Sunday morning, and we're 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 praying, oh God, I feel like I've lost you. I've got to find you again. Can you come back? You know, as because then it betrays what we really think. We think God has departed from us. So our language and our our, our worship and our prayers take the shape of an orphan who doesn't know where their father's gone, thinks that, oh, well, he, he might be here one minute and then I might have, because I said that thing that was wrong or because I did that thing that was wrong because I didn't meet up to some imaginary standard, then suddenly he's departed and he's left me and I'm on my own again. creates this kind of mindset, uh, uh, the, the sort of mindset that is that fills churches up and down the country every Sunday morning. Uh, not this church, of course, I know. Uh, but in the end, it creates an identity for us where we are servants sent to serve the Father's glory. Kind of, it sounds right, doesn't it? It sounds good. It sounds Christian, but it isn't. It's not the words of Jesus. What does life look like under Jesus' baptism? It said, "Don't come back, please." Okay. So Jesus' baptism number one is about receiving Holy Spirit. So life and discipleship is fully powered by the life of God within you. It's not powered by your self-effort. It's not powered by your willpower. It's not powered by your intelligence or your competence or your stamina or any of those things. What does the Apostle Paul say? He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I struggle with all the energy of God that so powerfully works within me. He says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Have you ever stopped to really think about what these verses actually mean? What they're trying to tell us? What they're, what they're trying to break through in our, our thinking that's been so conditioned to believe that we are the ones who have to make anything happen. That we have to earn it. We have to attain it. We have to achieve it. And of course, we would never use those words because we know, oh, good Christians, Jesus gives it to us. It's a work of grace. But oh, well, Jesus did his part, but you have to do your part. We add that in. Uh, no, your part is to die and be resurrected. That's your part. Your part is not to do anything else. Stop trying to chop bits off Jesus's cross and make your own little cross, or stop trying to add bits to Jesus's cross because you think that it wasn't sufficient. We don't want to do that. We need to recognize that here in this life, In Christ, you can't get lost because you've been fully immersed into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's God on all sides. It's like David said, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down into the grave, you're there. It doesn't matter where I go. I cannot get away from you. I'm fully immersed in your life. You see, followers might get lost. Followers might miss the mark. Followers might lose sight of the, the master, the one they're following. But those who've been fully immersed in the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot lose sight of him because his eyes surround them 360 degrees. His eye is on you. Whoa, Jesus. You might forget it, you might get some screwy thinking. That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed to this truth or this reality. As, we, as our minds get renewed to this reality, then suddenly we can rest in the good of it. And we stop trying to make a, make a fact or a reality what already is a fact and a reality. We stop trying to kick against God. And we're just like, oh, it's all right. I'm, I'm home. He's brought me home. I'm not trying to get home. He's brought me home. The kingdom of heaven is within you now, Jesus said. This baptism doesn't create servants who work for the Father's glory. It creates sons and daughters who share in the Father's glory. God did not create you to serve his glory. He's got plenty of angels who do that already. God created you to share in and participate in his glory. Why? Well, because that's what the life of the Trinity looks like. Father, Son, and Spirit in that life, in that relationship, is a, a perfect harmony of other-focused sharing in the glory, sharing in the joy. You've been transplanted into that relationship. How does that change the way you see your Monday morning? How does it change the way you see you know d- um, dinner with the kids? Or how does it change uh, your work life, whatever it is? How does this change things for us? We need to ask Holy Spirit to renew our minds to these realities quickly last one where are you here we go so filled with the spirit what are we actually talking about here well here there are two there are two sides to this coin image wise in the bible and so i picked up two pictures here And the first one on the left is probably the more familiar one. We've got, uh, it's actually a a, a glass. It's um, not a high resolution picture, so maybe you can't quite see it. It's a glass being filled with water. Actually, after I put this one here, I realized it's not quite, it's not quite an accurate picture. Because, well, it could be. It's just that it looks like the water's been filled from the outside, that somebody's pouring it in the top. And that's often how we think about being filled with God, although that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught, when you believe in me, out of your innermost being will flow. So the, the filling happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. So strictly speaking, it's not... Uh, theologically accurate. However, um, because you can't see the top of the picture, it could just as well be that that water coming out the top is spouting out the top instead. (laughs) Um, So uh, I hope I I, I get a pass. But you see the image here of that one is that it's like we're as if we're a container and that in that container we're being filled up with God so filled and so saturated and so in the enjoyment of his presence to the point that it spills over and when it spills over it begins to get everybody else wet as well. That's one image of being filled with the Spirit. And that's why we can say in the book of Acts, they saw things and they heard things. Things manifested. They happened. Well, the manifestation and the happening is this bit here. Do I have a little red pointer? So as long as, as long as the glass is being filled up, you can't see anything happening because it's all happening inside the person. But once it fills up and starts spilling over, then all you need to do is get around them and you're going to get wet. And what happens when you get wet Salvation, healing, deliverance, cleansing, restoration of relationships, forgiveness, returning, being put back together, long life, clarity, wisdom, insight, joy. <laughs> All of these things happen when you start getting wet. Wow, Jesus. But the other image here is the image of the sailboat because here you've got a boat and we talk about this, the sail being filled with the wind. And of course, if you think about it, the boat that sits there on the water, it's the, the air is already there right the sail is already in the in in the air it's not in a vacuum on either side of the sail the there's 100% wind, right? 100% air, I should say. But what happens when the sail is filled, it's that there's some kind of momentum or some movement in the air that exerts some kind of a force on the sail and it generates a momentum. It, it generates some kind of movement, Some kind of ch- something changes in the, the orientation or the configuration of natural reality because there's a moving, because there's a pressing of the wind against the sail. But th- there's no more air in the sail now when it's filled with the wind, than before, right? It's still 100% air. There's not more in it. It's just there's some kind of dynamic change. And this is the other picture that we have of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is you are right now filled with the Holy Spirit. But what happens is that, is that sometimes, and, and actually quite often, um, as we're allowing ourselves to be conscious of the Holy Spirit, which is a little bit like putting the sail up, you know, because you can sit in a boat with the sail down, and the wind blows and nothing happens and you're not conscious of it. And if you're lying down in the boat, it might be blowing up above you. You may not even feel it. So what, what we're doing is our, we're allowing our consciousness to kind of sit up and wake up. And it's like, oh, I'm conscious that there's a blowing. There's a wind that's happening. And sometimes we can be in worship or we can, be, you know, just be anywhere. And we can feel like, wow, God's doing something. And it's a bit like we're beginning to become aware of the movement, the dynamics of the Holy Spirit around us. And then as we start getting with the program and we realize, oh, there's a moving and there's a dynamic that's happening here. And you think, oh, what's this lying down in my boat? Oh, it looks like a sail. I wonder what happens if I put that up. If I just lift that up, you know, and just unfold it. Instead of kind of having it wrapped up and crushed up in the corner, what happens if I start to unfold that sail and just a little bit so that it starts catching that wind? And then, our growth in the things of the Holy Spirit and the life of the Holy Spirit is like that sail just unfolding more and more so that we're able to, we're able to, in a streamlined way, catch and flow with what God is doing. So, time's up. Um, so, I'm going to pray and we'll, uh, we'll land it there. And obviously, you can uh, you could grab the PowerPoint and what have you online um, along with the, uh, uh, the message. So, um, let, let's just stand. If you need to go up and grab kids, then... Please do, and don't worry, because uh, even if you go, you'll still be getting the benefit of the prayer. Because there's no distance or time in the spirit, so you don't actually have to be here or even do anything for this to work. Um, Just believe it. That's cool. That's good enough. So please be uh, be blessed to go out and grab the kids. I'm just going to I'm going to pray. I I think I'll I'll tell you what we're going to do here. We practice the priesthood of all believers here, right? We're all priests, so we get to be priests to one another. So you remember in the, in the book of Acts, it said, we looked at the scripture, Paul placed his hands on them and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why when we pray for people, we, you know, put a hand on a shoulder or, or, or head or what have you. Um, It's, it's because, it's because of this. We're just following what what Paul demonstrated. There's nothing magical about it. We just think, well, if he did it, probably it's a good idea for us to do it. Um, So that's what we're going to do as a point of contact, as a way of kind of physically, it's kind of recognizing when we put our hand on somebody, we're recognizing something is supposed to change in the physical world because we're praying not just because we're thinking a nice thought or because it's kind of going up into the air somewhere. We're we're physically activating it. We're we're saying the truth of this prayer, the reality of this gospel goes all the way to the subatomic level, goes right to physical reality and affects change. And when that happens, we expect healing. We expect miracles. We expect heart transformations, all of those things to happen because God is saturating and and filling us up. So when, when we Place our hands on, on someone to pray. I think, I would encourage you to think about it like this. Even when you go to shake hands with somebody, whatever they're thinking about it, you be expecting the Holy Spirit is gonna go. It's gonna spill out right into them from me. I expect that. Uh, I, I could tell you some cool stories about that, but uh, I was going to tell you some stories, but I, I, I ran out of time. So maybe another time I'll tell you some cool stories of that kind of thing happening. Um, but uh, So why don't you just um, just put, put a hand on someone's shoulder. If you don't want anyone to touch you, that's fine. Please just don't feel embarrassed to tell them. Um, you, you, don't, uh, you don't need to have anybody put a hand on your shoulder. This is just something we can do to engage our faith. And... What we're going to do, I'm just going to pray a prayer on behalf of all of us, and it's going to be a prayer for receiving the Holy Spirit. And especially I want to pray, if I go back to that image, and if you, if you want an image to think about while we're praying. Is it gone completely now? It's gone completely. Well, you can remember it. Oh, the image of the boat. I want you to think about that one especially. But if uh, if God's doing the one on the left too, that's fine. But what we're doing is we're, we're praying and we're, we're allowing ourselves to unfold that sail where fear may have crushed us down to think, oh, I can't unfold my sail. I can't open up my heart, that God's going to set you free now. So, uh, so I'm going to pray that and then just pray for each other, whatever God gives you. And if you want to pray, feel like praying in tongues, you can pray in tongues. If you feel like prophesying, you can prophesy. Uh, if you feel like just blessing, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Let God give you the words. Let him give you the images to pray. Uh, and that's also putting your sail up and allowing him to fill it. All right. So Father, I thank you that you have fully immersed us into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that whether we realize it or not, that has happened. and thank you, God, that you are, uh, you're you're correcting um, dysfunctions in our thinking where we have thought that it's about us and about our efforts and about our capability and capacity. And you are taking those heavy yokes off of us and breaking them now. And I thank you, Jesus. Your word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that right now, that freedom is here in this place. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, as we lift our sails up to you, that you fill those now. That if if we've never been filled before, never had the experience of being filled before, that for the first time, that would happen for those of us in, in the room who need it. Uh, and Father, for those of us who have been filled, thank you that it's a continual filling. And we give you permission to, uh, to generate that power and that momentum within us. We, we, decide, we repent, change our mind from doing things in our own effort. We put down the uh, the accusation that says we have to be competent. We have to be knowledgeable. We have to be skilled in order to see the kingdom of God. And we, we embrace the truth that you bring the kingdom to us, that that kingdom is within us. Right now, so I release breaking of every chain, healing of every disease, restoration of every relationship, deliverance from all torment and any spiritual depression in the room today. And we thank you, Father, that you are uh, you are blowing like a, a gentle breeze and like a mighty rushing wind in our lives. And I pray now, just scattered out over everybody's com- the coming weeks, the coming months, that that you'd be seeding right now those uh, those conversations with people. When we shake hands, that you would jump out and into them. When we when we go to open our mouths to speak that instead of instead of it coming from our heads, something is going to rise up from in our spirit, from where you are. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you you blow things around. You blow through the room and reconfigure the furniture. You rearrange the place. And we give you permission, God, to rearrange the furniture in our lives, rearrange the furniture in our houses, in our relationships. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and that you give beauty for ashes, and you give joy instead of sorrow. So where all of those, the, any anything in this room that has been like that, that's been sorrowful or mournful, we, we acknowledge the reality of those things. We don't deny them, but God, we give them to you. We hand them to you for that divine exchange because Jesus, you paid for them, so we receive that joy. And I just decree a an, an exuberant, ecstatic baptism of joy in this place right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So just take a moment and uh, and bless, bless your neighbours, your partners with the, the best prayer that you've, you've got. If you're getting tranced out by Holy Spirit and you're losing the plot, that's also fine. You can just let yourself do that. That's perfectly biblical. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, we receive. We open our hearts to your wave of grace, God. Yes, God, we open our sails to the blowing of your wind. Hallelujah. Whoa, Jesus. Thank you for all the people's lives who are going to get impacted because of this. Wow. Hallelujah. 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 šekari Hallelujah. I just see like, um, you know, like when your clothes are damp, if you've been rained on and then you get in the sun and... Or you stand near a radiator and the, the water starts evaporating. It's like the, damps, the damp starts evaporating off of your clothes. I just see that happening for, for people in the room now. It's like where you've, you've had a kind of a sort of damp, a damp squib. <laughs> Wet kind of, just sort of wetness, not in a good way. Like just whether it's heaviness or fear or discouragement or anything like that, whatever it is. I just see now that the, the, in the warmth of God's presence, that stuff just evaporating off of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So talahabra jahaka kakalate, kahabra basala lo shahra manjalate, kasabra jajalate, kasataneno. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I feel like as well some of us have been very, uh, very driven by our minds, by our intellect. And, you know, a, a, a well-developed intellect is a wonderful servant, but it's a, terif- a terrible master. God hasn't created us to live from that. He's created us to live from the heart. The book of Proverbs says from the heart flow the issues of life, not from the head. And if that's you, then I just want to pray for a a reconfiguring, a realigning of heart and head. You don't have to understand this. You can just agree with it and let God do what he wants to do. So Father, I pray for realigning, a dethroning of the mind where we have, where we have put our own understanding and our own intellect on the, on the throne of our life. We invite you to take your, your place on the throne of our hearts, and we ask that you bless our thinking and our intellect, but that it wouldn't dominate us, but that it would be subordinate to your thinking and your life flowing through our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do you want to
0: If you haven't gone to collect a child of yours, please do. Do keep praying if you'd like to. Thanks for going on this, on this journey with us. You know, if it's out of your comfort zone, then great. <laughs> you know, do come and talk to Paul if you've got any questions or, or want to encourage him and uh, share any pictures or words with him. But no need to rush off, but if you do need to go, you can do if you want to.